Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and today we're continuing our season-long theme of Far Better by learning from the seven churches of Asia. But remember, on, I think it's May the 29th, yeah, we're going to be talking about the church today, the unwritten eighth church. Let's get started today with the church at Smyrna. The city's background. Uh, One of Alexander the Great's generals built Smyrna from the ruins of an earthquake around 600 B.C. It was a Hellenistic city in 300 B.C. It would later be established as a Roman commercial center with a port on the Aegean Sea. The city had a population of about 100,000 people by the time of the arrival of Paul and John. It was a seaport and commerce center and was widely known for its schools in science and medicine. It was thought to be the most brilliant city in all of Asia, even surpassing Ephesus in its splendor. The theater in Smyrna was estimated to seat 200,000 spectators. The religious background of the city itself that was in Smyrna had temples devoted to the Roman Emperor Tiberius, as well as the goddess Roma, and to the Roman gods Jupiter, Diana, Apollo, and others. How the church itself, much like Ephesus and everywhere else, was established is kind of unknown, though it most likely came about during the time that Paul was spreading the gospel in Ephesus, Acts 19.10 and verse 26. Today, we're covering the fact that Smyrna was poor but rich. It's January the 24th, so we're just a little under a calendar month, if you will, from Christmas. How many presents were under your tree? A lot? A little? None? No matter the reasoning for that, did you still feel blessed? I think it's so easy to get caught up in what we don't have and what others do have that we neglect to see the beauty of what God has already given to us and what God has blessed us with. Look at Revelation 2 and verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. He's not bound by time. He existed before Smyrna and will be in existence long after they're gone. Always has been, always will be. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's not even bound by death. He was dead, but now he's alive. And during a time in which a city had been resurrected by actions that they had not given any contributions toward, Jesus says they needed to be reminded that he'd been resurrected, which should have been the most important piece of information to them. Jesus lives Think of the comfort provided because Jesus knows true suffering. 
I have to take a detour here in order for this to make sense because we understand crucifixion, but we don't. And I understand it can get to be a... I even hate saying it this way, but sometimes we we think of crucifixion as a stale subject matter. It's Easter. We're going to talk about the crucifixion. We're talking about Jesus. We're going to mention the crucifixion. I don't think it's wrong for us to do that, first of all. I think it's prudent. The most important thing that any of us could have ever had happen for us should never be dismissed as a subject matter that is just a throwaway subject. Now we're going to talk about this again. Here we go. No. What do you know about the cross? What do I know? When you study it, when you think about it, it's horrifying. It it was probably the most horrible form of capital punishment that's ever been devised by man. And we're the benefiters of the greatest suffering that ever took place on this earth. You know, the process of what we would call a normal crucifixion would be the the scourging, the nailing. Actual cause of death was usually asphyxiation. You're extending yourself, the body. You're having such a hard time going up and down to breathe, that eventually you're just unable to do so and you you suffocate. Usually within 36 hours, although some crucifixion victims lasted for days, Jesus only made it six. And Jesus himself would have been in a peak physical condition. He wasn't overweight. He wasn't a couch potato, as we might say of some people. No, Jesus was a healthy individual. As a carpenter, he would have needed to be strong. But he's also a healthy individual in that he was very active, walked everywhere he went, did all these different things. Jesus dying after just six hours should tell us something about how brutal his crucifixion experience was. But that's just a normal crucifixion, you know? Jesus' crucifixion starts in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's praying to the Father in Luke twenty two forty four. he's in agony. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet, not even arrested yet, and he's suffering. It shifts to these Jewish trials that many of us know, and if you didn't know, that they were illegal. There's seven-plus reasons, at least I have seven recorded here from Wayne Jackson, Arrest couldn't be made at night, but they arrested Jesus at night. The, the Sanhedrin was without authority to instigate charges, but that's what they did. The requirement of two witnesses testifying against him, an agreement even, to merit the death penalty had not been met. The court didn't meet in the regular meeting place of the Sanhedrin, which was required by Jewish law. Christ wasn't permitted the defense. Under existing Jewish law, an exhaustive search into the facts presented by the witnesses should have occurred, but it didn't. And number seven, the Sanhedrin itself pronounced a death sentence, which it was not permitted to do. His whole arrest, trial, and execution by the Sanhedrin was a joke, and that's just the Jewish side. 
of his trials. Then he's sent to Roman trials. Pilate, Herod, even the people. All of this just to watch a murderer go free. Don't forget he would then be scourged, have a crown of thorns fixed for him, placed upon his head, beaten into him. Then he would be crucified. Do you think Jesus knows true suffering? We we covered all of this before in season two, and I... I don't expect you to remember all of it, though. Here is a suffering, slain Savior, resurrected, our Redeemer. And he's written Smyrna a letter. And he says, I know your works, tribulation, poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. They would not have had maybe in some ways the same sense of financial success as those around them. A lot of these cities rooted in idolatry. It would be very difficult to make a living without succumbing to idolatrous practices. Their poverty and faith that went hand in hand. Their possessions very likely could have been seized by the government. Maybe they lost their jobs due to their faith of Christ. We've got to always remember our bank accounts do not matter when it comes to salvation. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? James 2, 5. We're blessed no matter our state when we live for the Lord. I was young, now I'm old, Psalm 37, 25. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Jesus knows what's really going on. We can try to front and hide behind something. We can try to be worried about something, but Jesus knows if we're really successful or not. No hiding from him. As you and I think about what we've studied today with the church at Smyrna, we have two verses left to cover before we get to our text takeaways. I just want to remind all of us, I don't know what's in your bank account. I don't need to know. Is it what you would hope it would be? Is it enough? Are you worried? Friends, no matter what happens, financially or other, God has your back. And if you have 70 cents or $70,000 in an account, it doesn't make you more faithful or less. Poverty because of Christ, and still be rich. Thank you so much for joining us on the Scattered Abroad Network, a work of the Memphis School of Preaching. Till next week, let's remember to please God now so our eternity can be far better.